Well, good morning. It's so good to see you here on this 27th day of December. I was thinking earlier of this uh, earlier this week of my grandmother, who 100 years ago moved with her family to Southern California from Philadelphia. And I remember her telling me that during uh, her Philly days, when she was zero to 12, I think, uh, Christmas didn't begin right after Thanksgiving. It began on Christmas Eve. Uh, that's when the tree went up. That's when the candles were placed at the end of each bough and lit. And then it was the succeeding week between Christmas and New Year's that uh, family dinners were held, uh, visits with friends took place, and uh, uh, people took a vacation from work. So um, uh, given that seasonal framework of a century ago, I guess we find ourselves this morning moving in to the middle of Christmas week. And I hope you're having a good one and that you had a uh, a memorable and meaningful Christmas day. Well, it's been a difficult year, um, but not without its blessings. I'm sure at least uh, all of us here could name at, at least a handful of blessings. I know for myself, uh, grace has been a tremendous blessing this year, especially as I reflect on and appreciate all the more the fellowship of the saints. Um, the service that we're able to provide the community, especially through a food bank, and then the preaching of the word. And as for the preaching, our series in Proverbs has been especially poignant since if there's ever been a year in my lifetime when wisdom is needed, this has been the year. So gratefully, as we move into 2021, we'll continue to keep our nose in the Proverbs uh, from September to December, we looked at the book textually, that is uh, chapters 1 through 9, we looked at it section by section, but now as we move into chapters 10 through 31, we're going to look at it topically. Uh, we are going to look at six different subjects. So next week, uh, we'll be considering uh, the topic of money. Junior Jamrianvit is going to open God's word. Uh, concerning that matter. Then the following week will be humility. Kenny Clark will be preaching that Sunday. Friendship on MLK weekend. Neil Harden will be speaking. A family the following week. Jackson Randall just back from sabbatical. And then uh, yours truly will wind it all up at the end of the month, touching on life and death. Now, all of these talks are going to provide for us what Ed Curtis referred to a couple of weeks ago as course corrects. You may remember him uh, referring to course corrects. Life adjustments that keep, keep us aimed in the direction of life instead of in the direction that leads to death. Because you see, life is not a set it and forget it proposition. Life is dynamic, it's changing, and it requires constant vigilance and attention. In fact, earlier this week, I was thinking of life like um, uh, being on a, on a boat, and you've got to keep your hand on the tiller, you've got to keep your eye on the horizon, and you've got to be aware of all the swells and waves that are happening all of around you. It's a, it's a dynamic uh, thing. So this morning we're going to begin our six-part series by considering the tongue. 
the things that we say, the words that we use, and the fact that the tongue can bring death or life, Proverbs 18, 21. So by the end of the morning, we are going to be left with this question. In what direction am I pointing others by way of my words? In what direction am I pointing others by way of my words? Am I pointing them toward death by inflicting pain and humiliation and discouragement? Or am I using my words to point others toward life, toward comfort, healing, support? So those are the two things that we'll consider this morning. Words that point to death and words that point to life. Well, we'll begin with the words that point to death. Um, the first time this rhyme appeared was in the mid-1860s. First time it appeared in print was in the mid-1860s, and even at the time it was referred to as an old adage. It's a saying that we've all heard. In fact, we heard it this morning. Some of us have even used it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words or names will never hurt me. Well, uh, whether you heard it uh, with the term words or names, either way, the rhyme is famous, uh, memorable, and as Susan and Mr. Banana uh, rightly pointed out, it's entirely false. Because over the long haul, while sticks and stones do break bones, bones heal back to be just as strong as they were before they were broken. In fact, at the point of the break in the healing process, there's a period during which the bone is actually stronger. But while words do no physical damage to a person, Proverbs 12:18 explains that hurtful ones, as Susan mentioned, are like sword thrusts that go right into the interior of our person. They, they cut us to the core. And all of us live with the enduring ache that comes with being the recipient of sharp, hurting words. Maybe even words spoken to you this morning by a hot-tempered spouse or an impatient parent or an out-of-control child. Or words spoken to you long ago, that the lingering effects of which are very real and may be difficult for you to even articulate. Sometimes those words affect us on a spiritual level, like they did Francis Schaeffer, uh, the well-known 20th century pastor and author, who had already been in ministry for 20 years when he was overwhelmed with the problem of hypocrisy. People who would say one thing, but do another. People who uh, said they were Christians, but didn't act like it. Uh, people who verbally defended Christian doctrine and then defied that very doctrine that they were defending like speaking of God's grace in very ungracious ways. Well, over time, the effect of those words were so jarring to Schaefer that, mind you, again, he'd been a pastor for about 20 years at this point, it caused him to slip into a state of agnosticism. 
in which he persisted for a number of years. Sometimes those words can affect us on an emotional level, especially when they've come from within our own home and, and maybe even our own parents. A singer-songwriter, Dave Wilcox, perceptively expressed these effects for so many. Now, his parents were, were loving and uh, not like this, but uh, Wilcox, like a lot of lyricists, uh, songwriters, are very observant. And uh, he, he entitled this song, Covert War. Uh, the song is sung from the perspective of one who in the first six stanzas is recalling the household in which he was raised as a child, one filled with all sorts of cutting, uh, thrusting words, uh, as well as his attempt to deflect those words and, and defend himself against them. Then in the final four stanzas, Wilcox explains the enduring effects of those words and why uh, this one about whom he's singing is not going to be in attendance at the holiday dinner. Well, those final four stanzas read as follows. I love you, and I never want to see you bleed when comments cut like steel. So to hold your fire, I'd block the shot and take the hit for you as if I could not feel. I thought they'd passed right through me. That is all of those words. I thought they'd passed right through me that I had no scars to hide. But now, I open up and try to love, and I find that they're still inside. I used to run those battle lines, trying to plead and to implore, please, won't you hold the ceasefire out a little longer until the next uproar? I took it all in childhood, but I can't take it no more, because I caught too much crossfire in your covert war. So there are words that point to death that have been spoken to us. But then there are words that point to death that we have spoken to others. Maybe even words spoken this morning, words that just flew off your tongue like razor blades, words that came out of a hot heart instead of a cool head. Words that in the moment felt pretty good, but right now, especially when you saw that the sermon was going to be on the tongue, don't feel so good at all. To be sure, sometimes the hurtful words we speak in the present are the product of words spoken to us in the past. But sometimes the hurtful words we speak in the present reflect nothing other than the fact that we are naturally rebels at heart a condition clearly diagnosed in Romans chapter 3, where we read that apart from Christ, our throat is an open grave, our tongue is used to deceive, under our lips we hold venom, and our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And on top of that, we're all Americans, or at least most of us here are Americans, I mean, we have the freedom and are encouraged to use our freedom to say what we feel. It's our First Amendment right. The average American, as I understand it, speaks 700 times a day. 
And when you consider that eight of those hours were asleep, or at least eight, that's a lot of words. Now, um, you say to yourself, well, I don't, I don't speak 700. Well, cut it in half. 350 times in a day. That's still a lot. At least one time for every two minutes that you're awake. You're saying something. You're moving your lips. And then you add to that proliferation of spoken words all the words that are tweeted, uh, uh, blogged, uh, posted. And we are a people swimming in words. But while Americans have the liberty to say what they feel, Christians don't. Proverbs 29.11 instructs us that fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. That powerful tendency in us to say what we feel, even at the expense of others, is no doubt why Proverbs spills more ink on the tongue than it does money, uh, sex, or family. And when it comes to the tongue, the thing about which God warns us the most, and he's the one who knows our hearts, is our penchant for lying. We are a bunch of liars. Now, to be sure, lying has its benefits. Otherwise, we wouldn't, we wouldn't tell lies. In fact, Proverbs 21.6 affirms that there is treasure to be gained by lying. But the rewards are like a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Of the half dozen things that are listed in Proverbs chapter 6 that God hates, lying is only second to pride. But the two famously work hand in hand. Uh, even from the outset of human history, Genesis chapter 3, where the lying adversary plus our prideful first parents brought on the advent of human rebellion against God and one another. All the way down to the present, the outset of my own life, when I memorably lied to my first grade Sunday school class, lied to my second grade public school class, lied to my sixth grade teacher, all in an attempt to maintain or bolster my rebellious pride. But lying doesn't only partner with pride. The Puritan Thomas Watson observed, lying is a sin that doesn't go it alone. It ushers in other sins. So Proverbs warns us that lies either told or embraced lead to mischief, chapter 17, verse 4, calamity, 17, verse 20, hatred, 26, verse 28, and ultimately, destruction, chapter 6, verses 24 and 32. James chapter 1 reveals that our tendency is not only to lie to one another, but even to lie to ourselves, a tendency that's revealed by way of our unbridled tongue. This is why in chapter 3, James goes on to warn that not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, and that because of our words. He goes on, the tongue is a fire, setting on fire the entire course of life, and itself set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now that's a sobering warning for those who would teach God's word. But Jesus offers a similar warning. Not just to those who teach the Bible, but to all of us here. He said, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. So as we've seen so far, uh, we can speak words that point people to death, bludgeoning their spirit and emotions, alienating them from God and one another, incinerating the course of their lives as well as our own along the way. Which makes us a good point to pause and ask ourselves a couple of questions. First, are there words that have been spoken to you with which you need to deal? Uh, maybe even words from long ago. By whom were they spoken? Uh, and if that person is still alive, uh, whom can you enlist to help you go and talk to that person? I, I had to do this last spring. That is, confront somebody who from years ago had spoken words that still have a grating effect on my soul. And I did it with the help of a couple of friends. The second question we have to ask ourselves is, are there words that have been spoken by you with which you need to deal? Uh, almost three decades ago, I, I asked that question of myself, and I asked it before the Lord, and I said, Lord, if um, there's anyone to whom I need to say I'm sorry, would you please remind me of them and and." the matter for which I need to uh, express my sorrow and then give me the courage to step forward. And over the next four years, I apologized to a variety of people that the Lord brought to mind. I remember the last one, uh, I didn't think they'd even want to talk to me. And so I had to call a friend and have him broker that meeting. But gratefully, in that and every conversation over the course of those four years, I learned the value of what my father taught me as a teenager. And it was simply this. The words, I'm sorry, work. The words, I'm sorry, work. A straight up, unequivocating, hat-in-hand apology is a powerful thing. It's a healing thing. Now, the reason you can approach those by whom you've been hurt as well as those on whom you've inflicted hurt is because while there are words that point to death, there are also words that point to life. Our words naturally tear down. That's just the direction in which we go. But God's words, the king's speech, if you will, supernaturally builds up. Just consider the fact that the worlds above us 
are a product of God's words. The world on which we're standing is a product of God's speech. The, the foliage and the animals uh, with which we share this world, a product of God's speech. You and I are products of God's words. And as we learned a few weeks ago, all of these were spoken into being from a pre-existing, pre-existent foundation of wisdom. That is, God thoughtfully considered all of this, all of us, before he spoke us into being. So it's no wonder that, that upon uttering you and me and this into existence, God declared it all to be not just good, but very good. Genesis 1.31. Nonetheless, those following chapters reveal that our subsequent and rebellious words blighted God's good ones. Leading to words in chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, that brought on cold-blooded murder. Chapter 6, widespread corruption. Chapters 9 and 11, a universal attempt by our words to assume the place of God. But what we blighted, God's specially, God specially spoken word, can build up, uh, to be sure, in principle, by way of the scripture. So in, in the second half of Proverbs, that means that, that the one who embraces and employs God's wisdom, especially that concerning the tongue, can bring healing in place of hurt can convey knowledge, can exert power, can teach kindness, can avoid trouble, at least in a temporal sense. That's why what God initially expressed in principle, he summed up in person by way of his own son, the word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, that's Christmas. That's what we've been and are currently celebrating. So that not just for a time, but for eternity, he could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is, live up to and fulfill all of his words. That was the life of Jesus. Cancel all of our rebellion against him and his words. That was the death of Jesus. Empower us to speak his words, not just from the head as a matter of conviction, but from the heart as well as a matter of compassion. That's the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the empty tomb. What a gift. I love the way one pastor uh, expresses himself on this matter. He says, on the cross, Jesus loved us so much that his sacrifice deleted the damning record before God of every foolish word you and I have ever spoken. He took the divine condemnation for our lies, insults, gossip, put-downs, bragging, false promises, and griping, as well as our guilty silence when we should have spoken up. He took it all onto himself and he hit the delete button. Look at him on the cross, dying for what you and I have said and left unsaid, and see him there. Trust him, and you are finally free of it all forever. And just 
as Jesus has forgiven our deadly use of the tongue toward us, so we can forgive the deadly use of the tongue others have directed at us. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying that in Christ, it is entirely possible. So, back to the question of the morning, in what direction am I pointing people with my words? Uh, toward life or toward death? Now, it's easy to dismiss the weight of our words. Uh, uh, on the one hand, by saying, well, my words have never put anybody into the grave. While on the other hand, we say, my words have never lifted anybody up to paradise. And that's why the question is, in which of those two directions, life or death, do your words point other people? Uh, the 1987 Whittier earthquake destroyed the building in which I lived, and so I needed to find another place to live. And I did over in Downey on Fontana Street, just off the intersection of Brookshire Avenue and Stewart and Gray Road. Stewart and Gray Road. Stewart and Gray Road. What kind of a name is that? Well, um, the road was named in the 1870s after two family farms. The, the Joseph Stewart family farm was located at the western end of the road out by the uh, Rio Hondo River. And the Algernon Gray family farm was located at the eastern end of the road near the San Gabriel River. Now to be, to be on the road between those two farms puts you at neither the Stewart nor the Gray farm, but on the way to one or the other. The scenery along the road all looked the same. That's why it was important to keep your eye on the signage to know in which direction you were headed. Lest you be headed to the Stewart farm and end up at the Gray farm. It all looked the same. Well, that's a lot like the road of life. In an existential sense, uh, all of us here are all traveling through the same place at the same time under the same circumstances. The scenery is all the same. But in a spiritual sense, we're traveling in one of two directions down that road, either toward life or toward death. And our words provide the signage that point people in one direction or another. So as we begin to wind down here this morning, here are three ways to tame your tongue and to point others toward life as opposed to death. There's an old adage that goes, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so he must want us to listen twice as much as we talk. So first, to point others away from death and toward life, we need to listen carefully. Before we speak, we've got to listen. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 indicates that listening carefully helps you to discern what kind of person you're talking to. Listen to that verse. It goes like this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. <laughs> what does it even mean? It sounds contradictory. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. What, what does that mean? Well, uh, 
it means that there are fools who try to pull you into their folly with them, while there are fools whom you can actually save from their folly. Think of it like a person in a mud hole to whom you, you've thrown a rope. There are those who won't be rescued and prove it by dismissing anything that you're calling out to them from the edge of the hole. In fact, even grabbing the rope and trying to pull you in with them. Well, there are those who can be rescued and prove it by responding positively to the words that you're speaking to them from the edge of the hole and following your advice to escape. But you can't tell the difference between one fool and another until you engage them and you listen to them. Not only is it helpful to discern who you're talking to, but Proverbs 20.19 tells us that it's helpful to discern what's really being said. And when you realize that what you're hearing is uh, slander or gossip against another person, then wisdom dictates that you either walk away from that person, that, that's Proverbs 20:19, or in the spirit of Matthew 18, you walk that person to the one whom he or she is talking about, you create a safe place where the festering can end and the healing can begin. So we need to listen carefully. And then we need to speak thoughtfully. Think before you speak. Proverbs 15, 28 teaches that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. James 1, 19 puts it like this. Be slow to speak. But know that while the head figures out what to say, the heart determines what we will say. Or the head figures out how to say something. The heart determines what we will say. Words are, are cultivated. They're not manufactured. They, they come from within us. They're grown inside. Jesus put it like this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. So a wise person is a person of character, someone who regularly harrows and plants and waters his soul with the wisdom found in God's word, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the company of other believers. All of this will help us to remember and draw upon what Derek Kidner referred to uh, in his uh, overview of Proverbs as words at their best. When you open your mouth, this is what they ought to sound like. They ought to be words that are honest, chapter 16, verse 13. Few, that's a challenge for some, yours truly included, but hold them back. At 1728, Calm, 1727, and those calm words that we speak need to be fair, chapter 18, verse 31, temperate, chapter 15, verse 1, potent, 2515, and appropriate to the situation, chapter 15, verse 23. So speak thoughtfully. And then finally, remember Jesus for whom there were times when no answer was the best answer. In 1 Peter 
chapter 2, we're told that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself over and over to him who judges justly. In fact, earlier in that chapter, uh, Peter makes the point that silent conduct, that is, no words, can be the most powerful confirmation of an influencer for those words we have already spoken, especially when those words communicate the life-saving good news of Jesus Christ. I was raised uh, by parents who told me what they thought. Uh, told me uh, how to think about the scripture, told us about our family priorities. But especially when I got up into young adulthood, my dad stopped talking because he had planted the seeds and he had watered those seeds. He was always there, but he was silent. And friends, I got to tell you, my dad's silence on certain matters, especially when I began to deviate in my lifestyle, were far more powerful than anything he could have said. Because I knew what he could have said. And that restraint just made uh, what he had said over the course of my life exponentially more powerful. Well, in this final week of 2020, it would be good to reflect on the question, in what direction have my words been pointing others over this past year? And then to recommit ourselves to speaking God's words, the King's speech at home, uh, at work, at school. Words that point to life. Words that proclaim the excellencies of him who have called us all out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray. So, Lord, that's our prayer this morning, and that's our only prayer, that you would help us to speak words that are consonant with your word, and words that are not only shaped in our head, but come from our hearts. Lord, may 2021 be a year when we harrow and plant and water our hearts with your word, with the help of your spirit, in the company of our brothers and sisters, even right here at Grace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.